Thanks everybody for joining us. We're doing a live LinkedIn live with my good friend Sagram Vajri, co-founder and chief evangelist of Terminus. How are you doing today, sir? David, this is good, man. Impromptu, nothing like jumping on camera. Let's just do it. Let's see where it goes. I know, right? So we usually, this is for the sales development podcast and we usually do it with no camera and it's just audio. So this is kind of weird, but we got LinkedIn live and I never use it. So I, I wanted to bring you on and I know that you're an expert in this medium. So I'm excited. <laughs> well, we will learn from each other. I'm with you. Yeah, I'm super excited. So, and I did no like promo or anything. So we might get like two people that stumble upon this and want to join us, but you know, good for them. We've got as the recording, long as you are so. there, I'm there. That's good. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, Sangram, this is super exciting. You have a new book coming out, which I dove into. I was nodding my head, you know, yeah. violently throughout the whole book. And it's terrific. It's coming out soon. It's called Move, the four question go to market framework. And you wrote it with your co author, Brian Brown. Tell us about this. This is such an interesting topic and it's just so valuable for folks. Yeah. And well, first of all, the book is going live on the 21st. So this is like okay. right before, I mean, this is as exclusive as it gets right before the book. So glad and thank you for the opportunity for that. I am known for the most part for somebody who created a category, right? Like the whole ABM and, and that's really the world that I've lived on. And what's interesting, David, what I've seen as part of my research, being on board, helping Terminus grow to the level we have grown now, it's like hard enough to start a company. It's hard enough to get to a million in revenue. But then I found data point after data point. It's called the value of debt. If you ever search that value of debt in SaaS, you will see these articles where you would see people talking about that companies die at 10 million in revenue, like literally die. Company don't even resurrect themselves back, you know, in 25, you would think by that time, everything is, you figured it out. The world is clear now, but no, it, it really, there is a valley. There's a death valley between almost five, 10 million, all the way to 50. And then after 50 million, you know, then there are only a handful of those that actually make it. So what I'm recognizing is that as great as it is to create a category, as great as it is to start a business, what's important and why these companies fail wasn't because their vision all of a sudden became kind of out of the world and it's not relevant. It's not like their teams are no longer capable. They need to have different people and that's okay. It's because their go-to-market process has broken. Mm. And when I say it's broken, it doesn't mean that it worked a certain way and it's not, no, no. Your go-to-market has to fundamentally be different when you're in a, what in the book we talk about the problem market phase versus a product market phase or versus a platform market fit. Any of those three, problem, product, platform, if you're in those three stages, one of those stages, you're gonna recognize that the way things work in a problem market fit as a go-to-market team is fundamentally different. And if you cannot, if you cannot figure out a way to transition over to the other side, you can, you're gonna be falling into the valley of death. Okay, and so I wanna dive into that, but when you when you were thinking about pulling this together from your experience, who was the market that you were trying to reach with the book? Was it a founder who's trying to figure this out from, from day one or someone who looks at all the pieces in, in one of those companies that you mentioned and they're just like, why is this not all fitting together? Yeah, so I'm in for the book, we talked to Jeffrey Moore who wrote Crossing the Chasm. 
Brian Halligan, CEO of HubSpot, over 100,000 customers. Nick Mehta, CEO of Gainside. Megan Eisenberg, CMO at TripActions. Like all the, and we had actually created a documentary of, around all of this that will be released in a couple of months. So we did like literal in-person conversations with all these leaders. And what was really interesting to me is this is a C-level conversation. This is a 100% C-level conversation. But the book gives you a vocabulary to the C-level as well as the operators in the business to have a common conversation. For example, when I say to a CEO, it makes a lot of sense to them, are you in a problem market fit or a product market fit or platform market fit as explaining to them? They get it. They understand it because that's what they're talking. They're talking to VCs. They're talking to their peers. That's how they think about it. But a salesperson, a marketing person, a customer success person, what they're looking at is, well, you know, how many leads do we have? How many accounts do we need to go after? How do I set up the revenue operations team? So you're talking about more specific. So what this book covers is gives a common vocabulary to the C-level. So they all would be in it, which is why we interviewed so many VCs and all like Kelly Ford, who had 200 plus exits, positive exits, like VC creating excellent go-to-market excellence for companies. And recognizing that you need a common vocabulary at the C-level, but you also need people internally to help you understand, okay, how do I execute on this now? Got it. Okay, so tell us about the four questions. So that was really interesting. So where do you start with working together to evolve, you know, from this, I wouldn't say a mess, but it's like all these different silos to a real, you know, machine? Oh, totally, dude. So here's the thing that I learned. When we started off, David, we had about 50 questions. We're asking who owns go-to-market? You know, how do you measure it? Where do you start? What team involved is involved in it? What metrics do you care about? All these things. And what was interesting is that it all came down to four questions, which is why we're like, well, that's crazy to think about. They, people may be using different words for it, but going back again, maybe giving a common vocabulary. So the four questions really aligned with the move and thereby the name of the book, which is who should you market? And what do you need to operate effectively? This is where the RevOps conversation really gets interesting. Third is velocity. When can we scale our business? When can we scale? This is a common question every company is asking all the time. It's been especially in the early stages all the way to 50. And then the fourth one, this was given by Scott Dorsey, who was a CEO of Exact Target, sold it to Salesforce for 2.5 billion. He's like, what kept him up all night was where can we grow the most? So E for expansion. So mm-hmm. market operations, velocity, and expansion. Those are the four things. Now, the beauty of it is the questions remain the same, but based on the stage of your business, problem, product, platform, whatever the stage of the business, your answers are going to be fundamentally different. And that's really the crux of it. The way you cross over the valley of death is by making sure that you're not answering the same, that you're answering the same questions, but not the same way. It's going to be fundamentally different. Okay. And so let's go back a little bit. So tell me more about those different stages of a company, just so people, you know, they can like triangulate to where they are right now in their business. So tell me about those different stages that you mentioned. You know, I'm going to try, we're going to try this thing. You're going to share a screen. Let's see see if we can show it to the people. Let me know. Yep. There we go. There you go. And I can put it on the whole thing or have our heads there. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, it, I think our heads are fine. I'll, our I'll heads are sure. good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll try to make it bigger. So, okay. if this helps, is this helpful? 
Yeah, definitely. Okay, so let me give you a few examples. This is again really, really nerdy. I think people, people hopefully we could go back and look at it. Think about this. For example, I'm going to look at examples that we all probably have heard about. Think about HubSpot. They were an SMB market marketing oriented company in the early days. Product market fit, marketing automation came about. They're like, that's our product fit. This is where we're going to nail it. And now they have a flywheel. They go after every. They, they go after marketing, sales, customer success. So the platform expanded. But so did their market expanded to multiple different personas. Same thing for Salesforce. Think about it. For 10 years, they did not do anything but CRM. For 10 years until they got to marketing cloud. So you have to go step by step from problem to product to platform in order to become all the way on the other side. I'll even use a B2C example. Think about McDonald's. 1940, when they started, they had everything from barbecue to orange juice. Right, And eight years later, they looked at it and said, oh, my God, we are 87% of our profits are actually coming from three things, hamburgers, fries, and soda. Mm -hmm. I'm one of those people that would always get something like that if I go to fast food. And we all know the history, but they nailed the product first before they became a platform. You can think about Morning Brew or Skim or any of these newsletters that are started around millennials trying to read the Wall Street Journal in a better way because they don't like the jargony over there. So how do they... Created. They started this newsletter, one email a day, focused on that one product. By 2018, they were a $3 million business for one product, one email a day. And now they have multiple different products, which is why they're a platform for multiple different markets, marketing, tech, retail, different newsletter, 20 million. One step further, this is just for the kicks. Think about Joe Rogan, if anybody <laughs> listens to it. Like 2009, dude, he started with answering questions from Twitter and became the top podcaster of all time. They're focusing on that one channel one channel and then now he's a hundred million dollar deal with spotify as he as they help him build a greater platform so i shared that with the idea that oh my goodness this is how marketing this is how a company can identify where they are and know a roadmap to go all the way you can take the screen off if you want got it okay all right so that helps us to understand you know where we are in this process and so how do the questions relate to you know marketing and ops velocity expansion you know where, uh, do we, where do we start if we want to start digging in that's a great question david like so the questions are still the same so for market mm -hmm. for example the question is like who do i market to in a problem market fit you might think about total addressable market like any and everybody out there but then as you as you mature you will start thinking about what we call is trm which is total relevant market that's when your product market fit you're going after a specific use case in a specific industry. That's really where things start to work. And then when you think about the platform market fit, your market is all about the customer cohorts, the customers that are giving going to create the greatest value for it. Not all customers are equal all of a sudden. Now, and not every customer is important anymore. It's actually the right customers become a thing. So that's how you simply think about the market question differently based on stage. I'll give you one more. Operations. In the early days, in problem market fit, maybe you have a finance guy or a gal who's running finance reports around what, what's working, what's not, because everything is ad hoc. As you become product market fit, you're going to need a, an ABM-oriented strategy to be able to bring sales and marketing together to show here's our pipeline, here's our revenue, here's how we're expanding. But as you get to platform market fit, I'm yet to see of all the companies I've studied who does not have revenue operations as a key lever. Because revenue operations will give you the direct understanding of where is the market, where as a company we need to move. So they will come in 
and create a scorecard that will show that they will report not to typically the CRO. They will report to the CEO or a CFO so that they can be fully independent. And they will, in our case, for example, at Terminus, we have Mallory who runs it. And she will literally come in and show, here's our top line growth. Here's our pipeline. Here is our retention across the board. Here's our product usage. So she has a whole business understanding of it that she's literally telling all of us what's going to work. That changes the conversation. Nobody is now wondering who moved my cheese. Nobody's worrying about like, hey, you know what? You know, where my number did anybody approve my spreadsheet? No, no. You have a common understanding of your business that moves forward. And I think that is a game changer. That really is. So, and what you're seeing out there is that the RevOps department is an independent operator. They're, they're not, I mean, it sort of evolved from sales ops and marketing ops being a, a function, you know, to support yeah. those particular silos. But RevOps, the way that you look at it, it's sort of overarching across the customer journey. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, that is one of the biggest, if, if you are an organization today, where out of your 30 minute meeting, 10 minutes, 15 minutes is like, hey, who got the right number? Like that is a problem. That is real. I think 99% of the companies have this thing going on, which is a, and I have been there, we have been there. And it's not saying that we've never been there, but as soon as RevOps was introduced a year ago in our organization, it was a light bulb. It was mm -hmm. a light bulb because it changed the conversation about whose fault is it? To what do we got to do? Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and so that- if you're looking at this and you're saying we still have those silos, how do you know if your go-to-market, you know, structure is broken? You know, what are the signs? Yeah. Oh, I love that question, man. I think this is the part where I feel a lot of people would probably not, and we can't see all of them, but this is the part where I want people to really get deep into it. Maybe even, even make notes as you think about it. Think about when we think about like go-to-market is broken. If in your organization right now, somehow you're having some salespeople who heroically make their numbers, the go-to-market is broken because it's no longer predictable, repeatable. Think about you have a ton of leads coming in, but you don't have a higher conversion rate. You have a go-to-market problem, which means marketing and sales is not connected enough on who's coming in and how we're converting them. And maybe in your organization, churn is killing your business. You're able to get net new customer because your marketing is great, your sales is great, but your product is not delivering or your customer success is not equipped to do it, your churn is killing your business. You got to go to market problem. Mm. Here's another one. A lot of times customers buy into it and towards the renewal time, they're wondering, I don't know if you got the value that you're looking for and, and they're not unsure and you're not unsure how to show ROI other than it is awesome kind of thing. So if you're having those kind of things and it will all manifest, David, as you probably have seen, is the teams are not aligned internally. The executive team and the team at large is not aligned on it. And I think when those things start to happen, I think that's when you know that you go to market is broken. Yeah. And, you know, in this SDR world, what we see a lot is that SDRs are kind of on their own to some extent, like as far as they've got the tools and they've got, there's a playbook, but then at the end of the day, it's like they're spending a lot of time researching and, and finding contact information and, you know, plugging things in and doing a lot of manual activity themselves. And, and yeah. for me, it seems like, you know, if you have your revenue operations set up from a data perspective, you can, you know, that's one big sign, you know, that something's broken. If you're asking people to, instead of doing the actual 
you know, job of, of being an SDR, they're essentially becoming researchers. Yeah, we, we did do. And I think if you really think about RevOps, it is supposed to give you intelligence on where you should spend the next dollar. Like the same proverbial question, right? If I give you another dollar, where would you put it, right? Well, you've asked that to marketing. Marketing is, you know, they're still looking to answer that. You ask that to the sales team, they probably say, well, we're going to hire another body on it or do something. But really, the question is, is not great for these teams because it's hard because they're in their own silo and they're looking at the things only from one perspective. Well, if you ask the same question to a RevOps person, hey, if, I, if you had another dollar to spend, what would you do? Where would you put it? Now, they have almost a, a detail level view like a CEO should be. I believe RevOps is the second most important role in the organization after mm -hmm. CEO in, the, in over years to come. The second most important because they almost like a CFO will have full understanding of, okay, this is working, this is not working, the product usage is not going up, so that actually drives our NRR, which so if mm -hmm. you want to get this up, then we need to move this. So they will understand the cogs of the wheel and what needs to be moved better than anybody. I think the question has been unfair to individual business units or salespeople or marketing people to say, what do you do with one more dollar? They maybe run more ads, like, you know, because that's all they do. Right, right. So they're they're really focused in on that. That's so interesting that, you know, revenue operations, it makes perfect sense because there's been such a shift in the technology and the ability to monitor all these metrics and, and make changes, but there really hasn't been up to this this book, you know, and you know, a manifesto that elevates RevOps to the point that how important it really is. Yeah, I mean, I will also say like one of the things that I have like Jeffrey Moore, man, you know, for him to, to yeah. give his endorsement and talk about he wrote Crossing the Chasm was fantastic. But then there are also Brian Halligan, Brian, yeah. C of HubSpot right now is now is the chairman up there. And I asked him, when I say go to market, hmm. what does that mean to you? And he thought about it and he said, well, it's like a product. Hmm. I'm like, well, unpack that a little bit. He said, look, first of all, CEOs own go to market. They, they own, they have a lot of executives, so that's really number one. Like he, he owns it and I corroborated that across the board. You will see that in the book and the research uh, as a part of it, like why that is true. And two, he said, it has to be like a product, meaning you don't go to a strategy offsite to come up with what your go-to-market is. You go there to come up with your vision and your end goals and, and all the things, like the team, all that stuff. But your go-to-market is an iterative process. Almost every week, every month, you're thinking about, should we acquire a company? Should we open a new office? Should we join and become a partner? Should we become a reseller? Like these are all the questions that should be part of your go-to-market process. But we, a lot of times organizations who look at go-to-market as almost like launching a new product or creating a sales channel, but it's way more, way more involved than that. And I think the book, we try to uncover that. Okay, so you, and you're advocating, what are the roles then? I mean, we've got like the traditional roles and it, it seems like, we're still trying to graph, you know, an org chart onto, you know, a world that doesn't exist anymore. You know, it's, yeah. it's all changing. So you've got the CEO, you know, the VC and an investor community, the CMO, the CRO. How does everybody fit in to support the? Yeah, it, it was it was initially really interesting to uncover that. So we already established CEOs are the owners; they have to yeah. act as an owner. The CML, we call them in the book, the galvanizers. These are the people who have to open up the conversation, 
and figure out, okay, guys, if this is the direction, if you're going to be a product-led company, in the book we talk about, like, you could be a product-led growth company, you could be a sales-led growth company, you could be a category-led growth company, which is how we restarted at Terminus, you could be a services-oriented company. So you have to figure out what your go-to-market really thought process and motion is going to be. But then the role for them, for CEO is the owner, the CMO is more of the galvanizer. And then CRO, they have the biggest role, especially from a sales perspective coming in. They're the orchestrator. They are the people who are saying, you know what? Here's how we're going to work on this thing. We're going to work with customer success team to work on these segments of customers. We're going to go into high growth market. We're going to go into enterprise. They have to orchestrate all that. And that is an incredibly powerful role. Now, VCs, for example, they got to be the guide. That's what they got to do. They, they, can't, they can't come in and tell what to do. That's a problem. The VCs have to be the guide. And that's why a lot of the companies will have more of a center of excellence as opposed to telling them exactly what to do. Got it. Okay. Tell me about that, the center of excellence. That, that sounds awesome. <laughs> I want to join that. Yeah. I mean, center of excellence. So yeah. Kelly Ford, Kelly Ford, who is the VC yeah. at Edison Partners, we interviewed her. She's in the book. A lot of some of the frameworks that created from center of excellence Edison portfolio, she gave us the license to, to put that in the book. So it's, it's fascinating. It's a treat. It's a gift for everybody. And what they, Center of Excellence means is that, look, as you go through different stages of your business, because you go to market has to fundamentally be different, you have to have a center of excellence around it, meaning you have to have a common language, common vocabulary, common understanding. A lot of times, David, companies do this cardinal sin, which is why the value of death is real. They would go into the, I, I just, I was just literally right before this, I was talking to a CEO who's of a $10 million company, super excited. They're like, Hey, you're 10 million. We're good. We're awesome. And I'm like, sorry to humble you. You're about to enter the valley of death. And you know, this is where companies die, right? He's like, what are you talking about? Everything is working great. I'm like, I know, I know, but it will stop working great immediately because when you cross those things and when you start to have decisions that involve multiple products, all of a sudden, as opposed to a single product, multiple channels as opposed to your traditional channels, now your enterprise growth, CS becoming super important. And now you're now looking at relevant markets and looking at customer cohorts. You're talking about an entirely new animal here. And so you have to reinvent yourself as a company. So a center of excellence is a way to help you understand for a go-to-market team, this my go-to-market team in a problem market fit is typically your sales team. My go-to-market team in a Product market fit is typically marketing and sales together. And in a platform market fit is typically customer success leading the way. Very important. Customer success leading the way. The customer success team is the one who says these are the right type of customers we should bring in because NRR and net retention becomes so much more important at platform market fit. And then those of customer success plus sales and marketing. So your go-to-market team kind of expands beyond just the sales team. Got it. Okay. And you pointed something out that was interesting. Why is small the new big? What did you mean by that when you were talking? Yeah, you know, given this my third book, I'm like, okay, if I'm the right book, again, I need to use the same process of how I think about concepts. So my last book, ABM is B2B as well. It has seven myths that I try to think like, here's what come people think about it. And then it has a framework. I'm a framework guy. And then a maturity curve. So that's what you would expect to see. You should expect to see from my books. And one of the myths was small is the new bed, right? And, and the idea around that is that initially, when you start a company, you typically think as big as you possibly can. I remember doing the pitch for Terminus. 
hey, we have a $5 billion market cap you know, opportunity over here, right? Doing the first VC pitch. And they all laughed. And they're like, yeah, of course, everybody has a $100 million opportunity. Like, you know, what are you really going to do? Um, yeah. Who are you really going to go after? So you have to figure out a narrower part. So when we started to dial into it, like, oh, initially, we're going to go after marketing automation companies. So customers who understand marketing automation, those are the companies they were the first companies that we would evangelize to become ABMers because they're probably more ready for a new thing, a better thing. They understand it. We don't have to educate what MAA is. We have to now educate what ABM is. That's easier than a marketer who has never used marketing automation. So all of a sudden, it went from a $5 billion business opportunity to a, a billion dollar, again, still big, but, but it became more clear. That allowed us to create content more clear. So the smaller the new big is that if you can exploit that, you can go faster from a problem market fit to a product market fit because you shrunk your market that you're going after. You shrunk. You, you're so precise now. You're so relevant now. And as soon as you're able to do that, you can move faster. And you move faster. Now you have more choices so you can expand again later on. So that's really what the smaller the new big is all about. Got it. So, and and it's kind of the slide that you were showing with the evolution of those companies. So you've got yes. like, I love that Joe Rogan started, you know, replying to Twitter and now he's got to, so start small, nail it, and then move out from there. It's, yeah. it's really interesting because, you know, a lot of companies that are involved in the SDR world will come to 10 bound because we have the market map you know, and they want to do a demo of the, the product and show us how it works and stuff like that. And it gets to be like, how is this different? And how is this going to be different than the other ones that are out there? You know, and it's like, what advice would you give those companies to start their go to market assessment so that it just doesn't become like, oh, the, another, you know, tool on the market? And <laughs> like, now what do yeah. I do? Yeah. No, you're, you're, you're right. I think, first of all, everybody needs to have this conversation in their organization. Mm -hmm. I promise you, if you go tomorrow, even today, just go talk to your team and your executive team or even the leadership team that you're, you're around and ask this question, what stage of the business do we think we are? And just explain the problem product platform. Mm -hmm. And every time I've done this, David, I've seen they all have different answers. And if they all have different answers, then you know that you have an ex you have a communication problem and understanding problem of how you're about to go. You can't answer what you're going to do unless you're sure about where you are. So the, the understanding of it is really important. It's like, are you problem market fit? Are you product market fit or platform market fit? So that's one. The okay. second part of all of this is that it is as little, it, this is not as much of a tool as it is more of aligning your things. So in the book, what we do, we create these nine questions for each stages or problem product platform. And we talk about the questions that you need to understand to align your team, the questions that you need to make sure that you're ready for the transformation, and the questions that you need to ask for being strategic. So alignment, transformation, and strategic for each stage. And they're different because you cannot think about, for example, if you're a problem market fit company today, if you read a Saster blog and start tracking NRR and GRR, you're a ghost. You will feel like you're a failure because your business is not ready for it. So don't track the metrics you don't need to. So in the book, we create scorecards for every stage that you can download from. And that way, you know what it is. So the challenge is not, I feel in many cases, David, that, well, is this another tool? It's really, I hope, I really hope this book gives everybody a way to know where they are and where they need to go. 
I, I think most challenging thing for most people are they don't even know where they are on the spectrum. That is point number one. And I think that is devastating. And that's why companies go into the valley of death. Interesting. So it's almost like because they can't calibrate where they are in on the spectrum, they're trying to solve different problems. It sort of ends up devolving into silos and the traditional you know problems that we see. Absolutely. They, I mean, yeah. it happens to all of us. Like how quickly yeah. does people want to slap the word platform on their website? Like right. as soon as they launch, I've seen companies launch, hey, we are a platform for this platform, like a platform, like like in real, like, you know, it's like people don't even think about it because it sounds good, sounds sexy, the VC bought in, it's a bigger market share, all this stuff, but no, you gotta nail. You really gotta nail your product, you really gotta nail your niche, you really need to start with the small as the big. And when you nail that, I think you'll have so much more opportunity. People will call your platform before you do. Mm, yep. And it's interesting, like looking at it from a business perspective, if you're, and you mentioned this, if you're looking at metrics that aren't really appropriate for where you are in that continuum, then you end up getting stressed out and, and feeling like a loser, you know, because you're not hitting those, but you really, you're looking at the wrong thing, you know? And so I can totally relate to that, you know? It's super important to like have a high level view of where you are and then really become great at those things versus yeah. trying to become, you know, a platform. I mean, that's a perfect example. Like, yeah, we're a platform, you know, and then, you know, you get demotivated because it's like, no, you're not. <laughs> you're, you're, I mean, I'll to give you another example. Think about companies that didn't innovate, that didn't go through this route. Let's use examples like, you know, we all know Blockbuster and their whole story, right? Like at one point they had the opportunity to buy Netflix. Yeah. And they said, Netflix is too small. Think about the words they use. It's too small, too niche. And what we all talked about is the small is the new big. Yeah. They looked at the, that exact thing and saying, that's too small. We don't need to do that. We got this thing going. We're not going to change our go-to-market. We are going to be on floor shops. We're not going to embrace this digital thing. We'll add that as an add-on, but this is working. This is why the value of that happens is because companies don't innovate their go-to-market. They innovate on the on many other things, but not on their go-to-market. So the Netflix was a whole story of go-to-market, quite frankly. The go-to-market mm. process, the delivery was different. The customers were expecting it, and Netflix was able to provide that to them. So you think about it, a lot of times, your best way to build your business stronger, faster, greater may not be because of the innovation that you might have in the product. I challenge mm. you to think about your innovation in go-to-market might actually help you get there faster in a much healthier way. Wow. Okay. Well, move. This is the big debut. And one thing I want to mention too, so they do the assessments, they can get the web resources that go along with it. You have a go-to-market podcast, so you can go deep into this. How do they access some of those resources? Yeah, they go to themovebook.com. It's in the book as well, and you can put the link later on. It's called themovebook.com, and you can just get all these resources. The book launches on the 21st, so all these resources will be available after the 21st. But right now, you can sign up over there, so you get alerted, and you'll get links to all of them. That's amazing. And then this is really cool. So the proceeds from this go to the New Story charity. Oh, um, yeah. Which is amazing. So what is that, and what kind of work are they doing over there? Oh, my God. So my last book, all the proceeds for that book also went to New Story. New Story is based in Atlanta. They actually build houses for homeless. 
But the way they do that is through 3D houses. So they're able to build 3D houses, not just one, but a community of houses in one go. So they could build 100 houses. Right now they're doing it in Mexico. And they can build these 3D. And all of their, like everything. So I'm a donor, which means I help. 100% of the money goes to the houses. If you want to go online, the new story, do it. But people like me who are founders and have equity and, and stuff like that, we get to be donors, meaning we actually help their team. So all the money that they so that they can hire the best people to run this company, that money doesn't come from the donors. So that way there's a separation there. So I love their business model of how they're doing the nonprofit true, like very transparently, every dollar goes to the house and everybody else could be a donor if they wanted to or chose to. And I've been friends with Brett and his whole company. So when I, I'm actually doing live Monday and Monday at noon Eastern, and I'm going to have Brett come on board and he can and have them share about their charity because I want this to be as much about that than, you know, I love what I'm doing, but I feel like this is bigger than me. Yeah. I mean, this is amazing. It's an amazing resource and we need to drop everything and go get the book. And then to be connected with something doing that. I mean, it's, it's just, it's a win-win all, all the way around. Sound great. So, yeah. Well, this has been awesome. And we'll do a recording of this, get it out audio on the sales development podcast. I mean, sales development leaders and everybody listening, I really highly recommend drop everything, go out and get this because this is really, this is the future that we're talking about. And this is how you can really make an impact in, in your career to learn, you know, the next generation of go to market. So Sangram, thanks again for coming on and we'll see you on the next podcast. Sounds good, David. Appreciate it. Thanks everybody. Thank you for listening to the sales development podcast. The only audio forum, 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.